Today we are once again looking at another state and covering some creepy and allegedly true stories from it. Today's state is Massachusetts. Now Massachusetts is a place full of history and downright creepy mysteries. Welcome back to the swamp my friend and welcome if you're new. Today we're going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from Massachusetts sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to send in, from your home state or something different, please be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into these creepy and allegedly true Massachusetts horror stories that'll keep you up tonight. Spring has sprung, and the less time you spend in the kitchen, the better. That's why some of HelloFresh's delicious restaurant-quality meals come together in just 20 minutes. Get 16 free meals plus 3 free gifts with code SWAMPED16 at HelloFresh.com SWAMPED16. Hello, Swamp Dweller. Thank you for giving me a platform on which to share this encounter anonymously. I'm a huge fan of your narrations, and your podcasts get me through every workday and long car rides. Keep up the excellent work and much love. For the sake of those involved, names and locations will be anonymous. I will refer to myself as M and the others as Friends 1-6. through six. The only location detail I will share is that this took place in Massachusetts. Now, on to the story. Almost a year ago, to get out of the house during quarantine, some friends and I wanted to go camping. Six of us in total. We met up at a clearing that one of our friends knew about. Friends one, two, and three, and I started getting everything set up while we still had some daylight. We got the tents and chairs set up around the fire pit before the sun was about to dip under the trees. After we got the fire going, it was around 8pm. A little after that, friend 2 got a call from friends 4 and 5 saying that they were running a bit late but were almost there, asking friend 2 to wait for them, out on the road, so they could see where we were. He left and everything was still excellent. A short time after, friends 2, 4, and 5 came back to the campsite. Friend 2 was a little shaken up. When we asked him about it, he said while he was waiting out on the road, he felt like he was being watched and heard something in the trees. If you don't know Massachusetts, the forest and woodlands can be dense at times, and, at least in my area, there are a lot of pine trees, so flashlights or lanterns won't illuminate much more than a couple of feet in front of you. Yes, it is that thick in my area, with all the trees and fallen logs. Anyway... Friend 2 said he was listening as whatever it was kept leaping back and forth to the trees behind him as he was walking. However, he suddenly heard it pacing back and forth in the trees behind him when he got to the road. Then, he didn't hear it anymore. The surrounding woods, he said, were very silent and still. He was down there for just a few minutes before he heard the pacing resume. Only this time, it was across the road and it was much faster than before. Now before I write this, I'll give some context. Friend 2 is a bit of a hothead with a short fuse when he gets annoyed. He said he yelled across the street that whoever was there better stop or he would go over there and kick their ass for toying with him. The pacing didn't stop. He said it got faster, 
even as he was about to cross the street. However, friends four and five showed up and the pacing stopped, and once they started hiking back, it was silent until they were about halfway to the campsite. At first, we all assured him that it was probably just a bobcat, if anything. As I said though, friend two was a little shaken up. And again, as I said, they have a bad temper and a big pair of stones most of the time. Normality resumed for a little bit after that. It wasn't until around 11pm when I got a call from my mom asking me to come home for family reasons. I begrudgingly packed up and I left, and from there, I tell the story from the perspective of friend 4. Friend 4 told me about the day after that, almost an hour after I left, the whole area felt dead silent. The only noises were the occasional smoldering of the campfire and some coyotes far off in the distance. They told me everyone started hearing the pacing off in the tree line about 30 to 40 feet away. They told me friend one was trying to keep everyone calm, saying it was just a deer or a bobcat and that it would go away after a little bit. Now friends two and three, who were a couple, started thinking about leaving as friend three said they were feeling uneasy. Now some context. I have always been a night owl, to the point where it's become an inside joke in our group that I am an owl secretly, so I have the nickname Owl. Friend 4 said they tried to start making jokes about the others and how they were being. They said if I were there, I would have summoned an army of owls or something to dispatch whatever it was. However, as he said that, they said the thing pacing stopped, and then they heard it start to hoot. At first, it was like the sound you would make when teaching your child the sounds of animals, and slowly evolved it into a more accurate full impersonation of an owl. As the hoots progressed, the pacing picked up again, but this time faster. And they said they also heard it breathing very heavily. And just like that, the howls of coyotes resumed only much closer. They told me no more than a thousand feet. Whatever it was kept howling louder and louder, and everyone began panicking. Even friend one, who is an absolute adrenaline junkie who laughs at death as they go 80 freaking miles per hour on sharp corners with his motorcycle, was starting to be freaked out. Everyone was horrified. They didn't even bother packing much. They just took most of their valuables and whatever they could grab and ran to the car as fast as possible, howling and barking coyotes not far behind. No hooting though, just dead silent woods and howls and barks. Friends one and five will swear up and down that it was a bear or a bobcat or some sort of deer making the hooting noises and that the coyotes were likely lost. However, friends two, three, and four told me that they had horrible, vivid nightmares that night. After our research, we concluded that the thing stalking us and mimicking an owl that night was most likely a wendigo, and the coyotes we decided were most likely drawn to the sense of a hunting predator and were looking to scavenge any remains they could. If you read this story and narrate it, thank you for choosing it. Stay safe if you're in the woods of Massachusetts. My friends like to tease me about this whenever I tell this story and say I'm exaggerating when I say that I felt pure evil from that place. The title was more of a warning based on personal experience, but I don't recommend it either way. I also apologize for the spotty detail between arriving and going into the house because I was young when this happened. 
now to get into it. I'm part of a Christian family who's pretty religious, and I was no exception. Ever since I was little, I was warned of anything witch-related or anything deemed demonic, so I'm sure you can imagine the surprise and excitement a little eight-year-old me felt when my mom took me and my, at the time, ten-year-old brother to Salem to see the Witch Trials Museum. She thought that it would be a good, informative little trip for me and my brother. When we got there, we walked into the main building that had wax figures and voiceovers talking about the witch trials and showing different ways people were killed. They tried to get my brother, me, and the other small children to sit on a bit of a pentagram in the middle of the floor, but my mom yanked me next to her instead. I was honestly still stoked and invested in the history even though the wax figures scared the crap out of me. Massachusetts, although had a dark history, it was very interesting. I've always been a big history nerd when it came to topics like this. My mom was a bit uneasy after that, but she was still happy that we enjoyed the day. We passed through a gift shop and had some lunch at a food place there. And then we heard that you could tour the judge's house, so we started to make our way over there. Now my family has been susceptible to the paranormal and negative energies. I've had my own experiences outside of this. And, not to mention, I had been excellent and happy all before this. During the walk there, the same goes for my mom and my brother. That was until we got to the house and walked in. An immediate feeling of dread, just a heaviness, came over everybody. I'd never felt that way before, and I still never have since that day. I still can't put into accurate words the feeling that washed over me. I felt like I had been punched in the gut and then had weights attached to my feet. There were other people in the house, and they seemed perfectly fine, but I felt like I was going to puke up my chicken tenders any minute. My mom, who had let me have a few feet of freedom, was ushering my brother outside the house because he felt sick and on the verge of tears. I was still following the group, but I nearly fainted when we started going up those stairs to the judge's bedroom. It felt like an invisible boulder was on my back and the voice in my head was screaming for me to get out of there and leave. I finally made it to the top of the stairs after practically tripping up them and thank God my mom was there to steady me because I damn near fell. It felt as if all the negative energy in that whole place had decided to plop itself in that tiny bedroom and glare into my soul with all of its hatred. She nearly dragged me out of that house because I was lethargic and near hysterics. As I stepped foot out of that house, my head started to clear and I felt nausea subside. We left right then, and when we got into the car, we prayed for at least five minutes straight. It wasn't until a few years ago that I asked my mom about that place and if she knew why it had affected my brother like that and me. She admitted that it also affected her in the same way, and her focus was to get my brother and me out of there. Recently, I brought it up again with my mother and she told me something else that I did not know. There was a heavy negative energy in our house when we got home for a few weeks after. My Catholic grandmother, who didn't think we went until after this, came down to visit and said she heard steps on the stairs when no one was home. It just felt like this awful, heavy presence was in our house. I don't know how long this lasted as my mom didn't really specify, and I was too young to really remember. I don't remember much after leaving the museum and I don't think they're lying. My theory on why this all happened was because an evil man died in that house. I think 
Either his spirit is still there, or maybe my family could sense the pure evil, or he had just left all his negative energy there when he died. I don't know if it was because he was religious or we were religious, but whatever it was, the house did not want my family there. You can choose to believe me or not, but I know what I felt and experienced, and it was something I'd wish not on my worst enemy. Salem, Massachusetts has some truly scary things lurking within it. My name is Linda and I used to be a hippie. Well, I still am a hippie, I suppose. But back in the day, I used to be a real hippie. The kind that packed up their belongings and took a trip on the magic bus out to India at 18. I spent the years after that doing a lot of hitchhiking all over Europe and the Middle East. Back when it was relatively safe, if you can believe that. So naturally, I have a lot of affection for hitchhikers and those who are generous enough to give them a ride and I never failed to stop for those with their thumbs out. This led me to pick up a hitchhiker on a Massachusetts highway one night, which I would later regret very much. So as I said, I was cruising out of Boston one evening. I was heading back towards Salem, probably the hippiest place in all of Massachusetts, and where I currently call home. On the side of the highway, there was this tall man in a long black coat holding out a thumb. I slowed to a stop, called out a friendly greeting from an open window, and then invited him in to ask where he was headed. He told me Maine, but he'd be grateful for as far as I could take him, even if that were only towards Salem. It was then I noticed the bag he had with him. It was one of those leather bowling bags, the semicircular kind with two thin straps. It was not unusual on its own, but the way he held it a little too tightly did attract my attention. But those delicate observations were soon overcome by the outrageous smell that seemed to come off the guy. He reeked of something rotten, and I was quickly glad that I had only promised to take him as far as Salem. I'm not one to judge. I'd met plenty of unwashed travelers back in my heyday. But holy crap, I think he saw the look on my face or the wrinkling of my nose and opted to say something. He told me he was sorry about the smell, that he had been on the road for a few days and didn't have enough money to pay for a motel room or anywhere else to get washed for that matter. I told him not to worry that I had been in a similar situation myself, and it wasn't anything an open window couldn't remedy. But even with the cracked driver's window, the stench persisted until I'd pretty much resigned myself to mouth breathing for the rest of the short journey. At one point, I got pretty concerned about the man's well-being. Certain infections, such as gangrene, can cause hideous odors as they rot away whatever flesh it has purchased. If he was a drug user, and he had picked up something like that from sharing needles, he had to be in some sort of pain. But when I threw out a vague question, inquiring about his health, he seemed confused. He told me he was in picture-perfect health. How maybe he could do with putting on a few pounds, but other than that, he was peachy keen. I was almost sure I'd seen him limping a little as he climbed into the passenger side, but I still decided not to press the issue. Offending your passenger does not make for a pleasant journey. Anyway, we arrived in Salem, and as much as I tried not to show it, I was over the moon that we were parting ways. But the rotten smell seemed to cling to the car's upholstery, no matter how much Febreze I pumped in there, 
and I spent most of that evening scrubbing the passenger side with a mix of disinfectant and hand soap. It was the first time I'd ever actually felt regret about picking up a hitchhiker and it was profoundly confusing for me. I hated feeling like a Grinch who was angry she'd been generous enough to help another human being. But all of those emotions paled in comparison to the following day when I told my partner what had happened the previous evening. I knew something was wrong the moment I mentioned picking up a hitchhiker. My partner gave me this look that I'd only ever seen once or twice throughout our entire relationship. It was one of pure fear. I asked her why she was looking at me like that, what she knew that I didn't. All she did was flick through a newspaper she was reading over breakfast, pointing out a particular article that consisted of no more than one or two paragraphs. It detailed the story of a prisoner escape in New York State, how a tall boyish prisoner had managed to slip through the cracks thanks to some sort of paroling error. New York State troopers had urged public members to watch out for a tall thin man who walked with a limp. The article said that the prisoner was most likely headed up to the Canadian border in a bid to escape justice. I had given that prisoner a ride. My partner immediately called the cops and I called into work telling them I might be a little bit late. A pair of uniformed officers arrived at our home with lightning speed, desperate to write down as many details as I could remember. What he was wearing, what he was carrying, where I had dropped him off, where he was going, if he said anything like that, etc. I could only answer so many of their questions, but I had a few of my own too. I told them about the terrible smell, the stench that clung to my upholstery that was likely still lingering. I wanted to know what could make a man smell that terrible if he had some sort of disease that he had not mentioned. Honestly, I was terrified that if he did, it would be contagious. After all, I'd spent the better part of an hour in the car with this guy. They told me no, that he wasn't sick, but they could explain the smell, although it might be something that I did not want to know. I told them, of course, I wanted to know what it was. I'd been in the car with a murderer and lived to tell the tale. It was with this horrible look in the officer's eyes that he told me that a rotten smell could be explained away because he had escaped to visit someone in Buffalo, New York before he made it into Massachusetts, someone he had taken a trophy from. Their bloody, severed head was in that bag he was carrying. When I think back on my childhood, I remember that I used to have awful night terrors. This is a true scary story about one of what I feel to be the scariest ones I ever had. I used to live in a second floor apartment in a house in the residential neighborhood of a part of Massachusetts called Dorchester. I didn't live too far from the train, which was about a good 10 to 20 minute walk from my house up to Boston Street Bridge. And there were two sub shops that you could get great sandwiches from. But anyway, that's not why I'm here writing this. Up until I was about 10 or 11, I, as I said at the beginning, used to have awful night terrors. So this one night wasn't any different from any of the other nights where I would wake up screaming and crying and fighting with absolutely nothing until my mother would come in and sing Adele V. Say to me. It was a dark and rainy night. It was a little darker than usual, I thought. On the door to my bedroom, I had one of those plastic coat hangers that go over the top of your door. I had all my coats and hoodies on that. 
So on this stormy night, I'd woken up to the sound of thunder crashing and laying there staring at the stuff. Still this time, I didn't see coats and hoodies. I saw the shadowy figure that looked like he was standing over me, watching me. To be sure I wasn't losing my mind, I slipped out of bed and passed the figure in question. I then made my way to the short hallway past the front door and stopped and stood right at the bathroom door staring at the bathtub almost positive that someone or something was in the tub waiting for me to come closer so it could grab me. I backed up into my parents' bedroom and as I turned around and looked, they were dead. Not only dead but they were skeletons. This also terrified me like you wouldn't believe. As I stood there in front of my mom freaking out, she woke up and tried to calm me down the way she always had. I crawled up next to her and she began to sing Adele Vissay. I know this might not be a typical scary story you share, but for whatever reason it's always stood out to me and I always thought it was interesting that maybe you could share some sort of nightmare horror stories. I was having a conversation about urban legends with my boyfriend and his friend who was in town who happens to be a stand-up comedian. The topic came up of, no, I actually know someone that happened to. So, here's my story. Back around 2003, I worked in a clothing store known for inexpensive t-shirts at a mall in a smaller northern city in central Massachusetts. I am a bit of a taller woman, just a hair shy of 5'11", with small, medium hourglass frame, light hair, light eyes, I was 18 when this happened. My friend that I worked with met up with me to pick up our checks and schedules and shop a little bit. She's no joke, 4'11", and still looks like she's 12, even though she's now in her 30s. We were both active in the hardcore scene at the time, but I looked a little more clean cut than her. She liked piercings, I liked tattoos. We were parting ways since we parked in the same lot but in different sections. I gave her a hug and walked away. I heard someone call, Miss, and I turned around. It was a short fat guy with a bottle in his hand coming towards me. Miss, I got my wife this perfume. Will you smell it for me? Tell me if it's good. Nope, frick off. I kept walking to my car, taking my Nokia out to call Jackie as I walked over. The dude persisted and started hitting notes of agitation in his voice, following me all the while, increasing the speed of his pace, saying he just needed me to smell it. Jackie answered, some guy is following me, drive down my road please. He heard me on the phone and stopped following me immediately. Jackie drove up alongside me and moments later described the guy, asking if it was him, which I confirmed. He got into some van and drove away, she said. In hindsight, we should have called the cops, but information on human trafficking and kidnapping in 2003 wasn't what it is now. Instead, we just went with the running joke that I was worth more on the black market than she was because of the facial piercings. So when you saw that email chain forward going around about men chloroforming young women and trying to sell them on the black market, I hope you actually paid attention. It almost happened to me. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Massachusetts horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. 
As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you enjoyed these stories, be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's very helpful to the swamp. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcast, be sure to give this a five-star rating over there as it helps me grow there, and that's very helpful. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I would love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. Letting me know in the comments helps me pick better stories for the future. If you would like to support The Swamp outside of all that, maybe check me out on Twitch. I stream over there multiple times a week. I play the scariest horror games that come out, and we also watch some quite terrible horror movies over there. It's a lot of fun, and I think you'd enjoy it. You can find a link to do so in the description. Be sure to check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.